Good morning. Good to be back with you after some vacation. Came back to uh, some rainy weather, but anyway, it's going to be nice. I know it will be in the days to come. We start, we're going to conclude a series this morning that we started six weeks ago. And I started this series, if you happen to be here, called um, um, This Is Us, with a message called It Begins With You. And the essence of this series of messages really is about... um, relationships in the body of Christ. Really, what does it mean to be mature? And my, my thesis, I guess, if you've been paying attention <clears throat> or were here when we started this, is that you know, if you really want to um, measure your maturity, if I want to measure my maturity, that's a big word actually in the New Testament, you know, uh, growing and in, 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 in becoming more mature, um, it's ultimately expressed in our relationships with each other. And that's kind of a sobering thing when you think about it, because a lot of times in your Christian life, if you're like me, you think, well, you know, it's really about me and God. And, you know, my, you know, whether or not my, you know, I, my friends, I don't care what they think, or if I'm in a broken relationships with, you know, uh, uh, my even members of my family, you know, they don't get it, they don't get me. Um, it's okay, as long as God and I are in a good place. Um, then I'm growing as a Christian, I'm maturing, but really the scriptures would, would uh, challenge that way of thinking. It says, ultimately, I said this six weeks ago, if you, know, you might say the greatest weaknesses that you might have in your closest relationships, not only a marriage, but uh, parents and, and kids with your parents or close friends or brothers and sisters in the church, the greatest weaknesses that you have there, if you honestly think about them, dealing with conflict, you know, ex- whether or not you're good with forgiveness, uh, etc., are often reflective of the real issues in our relationship with God. I think that's what the Bible would say. You know? Ultimately, our relationships with each other are reflective in many ways of our relationship with God. So what we started with this series of messages, the very first one says it begins with you, begins with me. That is to say, if you, you need to take your own maturity, your own spiritual growth as seriously. It needs to be a priority for you. And if it's not a priority for you, then you're not going to move forward. And just because you may have been a Christian or I may have been a Christian for 10, 20, 30 years, um, you know, it doesn't have necessarily any relationship that is, you know, uh, days on the calendar to whether or not you're, you're, you're a mature Christian. It's not simply, it doesn't happen automatically over time. Many of you would know people, I'm sure you do, uh, uh, Christ followers who maybe been Christian, you know, seven years or five years or 10 years or, and less than you and you'd, have to, you'd say privately to yourself, how come I see things in them I don't see in myself, Right? Uh, Christian growth is not about days on the calendar. It's not automatic. You need to decide it's important. You need to decide your walk with God's important, and you need to begin with yourself. The message we had six weeks ago, Romans 14, said this, let every man, every woman be fully persuaded in their own mind, Romans 14. And Paul was talking about what do you believe? Do you know what you believe, right? And as it rooted itself down into your, into your heart where it's going to ultimately change the way that you experience your life. So it started with you. It begins with you, but I'm going to end it six weeks later with a, a talking, really focusing on the church, that is the community of believers where relationships are experienced, right? And it really ends with the church. Our primary witness to the world, to your 
immediate neighborhood to this community in the case of Browncroft Community Church. Our primary witness is not the quality of our services, although we want them to be high. They're not the quality of our programs, although we want them to be high. Our primary witness to the non-believing community here is the quality of the relationships that we have with each other. Jesus says these words, we'll look at them in just a minute, but uh, in John chapter 13, by this, everyone will know you are my disciples if you love one another, right? This is the ball game, he's saying, to his disciples who are the, you know, the, the church in, 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 in embryo, right? They're, they're, they're the early church. These, why, that's why there's so much of the gospels, right? Why would we spend so much press, so much time in the scriptures just looking at these, what we call the disciples or the apostles? Why so much? Well, because they are in miniature the church, and that's where we learn many of our lessons and what Jesus is saying to them, and by extension to us, is by the way that you love each other, this is how people know what the gospel is and whether they know uh, that, uh, what, what the church is really all about. They know the love of God, they know the gospel message through you. If you avoid conflict, if you, you know, tear others down to build yourself up, if you harbor bitterness against others and you kind of deal with things on the surface but you haven't really dealt with things below the surface, if you don't know how to forgive, we talked about that. Uh, go back and listen to that message if you weren't here a few weeks ago. If you don't know how to exercise forgiveness, not just with husband and wife, uh, parent and child, uh, but with other people in the body of Christ, listen, what difference does your life make or my life? Why would anyone be attracted to my life, to be attracted to the life of the church, if the way I deal with relationships is no different than the way that the world does? Jesus says it this way. He's pretty no-nonsense in the Sermon on the Mount. If you, love, if you only love those who love you, right, what reward will you receive? What is the benefit of that? He says, tax collectors live that way. Now, you and I, that sort of maybe doesn't hit us, but tax collectors were the lowest of the low in Jesus' day. They were the people that, you know, were the least respected, especially in a Jewish culture. They were kind of collaborators. They were, they were in, 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 in partnership with the occupying. They were, they were the people that were that like the, the, almost the lepers of that society. And Jesus says, listen, uh, church, he said, even the tax collectors, they scratch each other's back. They cover each other's back. They sort of hang out with each other. They love people who share their point of view and share their, you know, protect them, right? You know, we're in a relationship together, and in a sense, you don't press my buttons. You don't call me on my stuff. I won't call you on your stuff. And we have the same politics or the same point of view. We hate the same things. We like the same things. That's what Jesus is saying. If you love those who love you, you're not different than anybody else, Right? That's what Jesus is, is saying. That's what he's really trying to say here. I went to a memorial service um, recently. Not a kind of a church service, but it wasn't a Sunday morning church service. It wasn't here. And I saw at that memorial service two families that I know well uh, from Browncroft Community Church. Both of these families don't go to Browncroft Community Church anymore. And I had a chance, as soon as I saw them, I mean, I was kind of in the back and I wanted to make sure I talked with them and said hello. And one of them I talked with briefly, the other one at great length. And... Um, you know, automatically I'm thinking thoughts and, you know, just having thoughts about them. And I knew that they didn't go to Browncroft Community Church anymore. Um, and, uh, you know, the only silver lining in this story is they're, uh, uh, 
they didn't stop coming because of anything I said or anything I did, which is typically the reason people will, uh, you know, uh, leave a church. Um, but in both of these cases, these two families, both spent many years in this church, um, aren't here because of broken, unresolved relationships uh, with other people in the church. And uh, I knew that. And, uh, and even one of the families I talked to, you know, we talked for a long time, and they, you, know, you could tell they just, you know, they, they even had great affection and missed the church, right? They're in another church, but they missed the church. And I just drove home just so sober. I thought, God, we have to do, we, us, a better job, right? A better job. Just those two families and, and maybe others, you know. Um, this is how the, the gospel spreads. It's viral, right? It's all about relationships, you know. Um, and if we cannot learn how to love each other in a way that's different than the way the world does, right, that just decides to tear others down to build ourselves up, who can't, you know, avoid conflict, who doesn't deal with underlying, doesn't know how to forgive, then you know, uh, uh, what, of what value, Jesus says. How are you different than anybody else? We're called to demonstrate a different kind of love. It's not easy. A love that goes beyond self-interest, which is where most of us stop, at least human nature speaking, beyond self-protection. I'm afraid you're going to um, hurt me or harm me. If you're not gonna go beyond self-interest and self-protection, uh, we're not gonna change we're just going to become, you know, we're going to hang around with people that are like us. That's kind of what Jesus is saying. But when we decide we're going to love differently, and I see a lot of good examples in this church, then we have an opportunity to reflect the gospel and really experience life change around us. So that's what, this is the final message. If you have a copy of the Bible, uh, John chapter 13, just a few verses, a few verses to sum up where we've been for these six weeks. Jesus and his close circle of disciples. Verse 31 to 35. When he was gone, speaking of Judas, Jesus said, now the Son of Man is glorified and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will glorify the Son in himself and will glorify him at once. My children, I will be with you only a little longer. You will look for me, and just as I told the Jews, so I tell you now, where I am going, you cannot come. A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Now, this section, it actually begins right where we began, verse 31 of the 13th chapter. It goes all the way, almost five full chapters to the end of John chapter 17. It's one of the most important passages in all of the Bible that is the whole thing. We're just looking at the first handful of verses. It's called the Farewell Discourse of Jesus. And in this gospel, there are a number of, uh, John's gospel is broken up in discourses, you know, conversations that Jesus has. It's the way he kind of frames the writing. And this is the biggest one. This is the last one. And it's Jesus essentially... Um, you know, uh, some of you have had this kind of experience. You know, you know bearing his heart for the very last time with the people that are closest in his life, which we've been talking about, right? This is it. And when you are bearing your heart 
Some of you have lived this out with your parents or, or, or friends or other people that you've lost maybe or you've been a witness to this kind of thing. You know, you, what, what you assume will happen, what very likely happens, people aren't going to talk about the weather. They're not going to talk about, you know, the, the NBA finals. They're not going to be talking about, you know, what they had for lunch. They're going to be talking about what's most important in their lives. And that's what Jesus does. They call this the farewell discourses. And when Judas was gone, I'm sure the writer puts that, when the guy who could not be trusted, when the guy who was the, you know, the, the, um, the, someone who, was, who had ill will towards Jesus was gone, Jesus says, now this is the time. I'm going to open up my heart. I'm going to share with you something. It is the end of the life of Jesus, or it's about to be. You could say this is deathbed. He doesn't have a terminal illness, but he's about to go onto the cross, and he knows that. It's the end of his life, but it's really just the end of the beginning of the ministry that he's given to the disciples, right? And Jesus is going to, it says in the opening verses of the chapter, we didn't look there, the, the washing of their feet. This is the, this is the parable, the living parable that opens up these five chapters, and it says, Jesus now realizing the end was coming, this is a paraphrase, he wanted to love his disciples um, to the very end. In other words, he wanted to give them his all. And that's what you see coming out in these words. And the first thing he's gonna say in these verses, just two points in this short message, is the cross is the new definition of love. That's what he's gonna say here. The cross is the new definition of love. Verse 31, in, in two verses, 31 and 32, if, you, if you're paying attention here, he uses the word glorify five times. Now, I'm sure that's on purpose, right? Jesus said, now the Son of Man is glorified. God the Father is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will glorify the Son of himself and will glorify him at once. Okay, a little overused but obviously for a point. What does the word glory mean? What is Jesus trying to say here? Now, glory is one of those words, and there's, you know, more than one. There's probably not a hundred, but that, I mean, are really beefy words. They're just like, how do you answer, how do you, how do you um, define a word like glory that's used so much? But the word glory, let me just take a, just a minute or two here to help us appreciate what's going on here. The word glory means, I think the Greek word that's used here is doxa, which we get doxology, just to give you a sense of the, the root of the word. But really what the word glory means is weight or worth. And we all have glory. Like, for instance, there's a, there's a verse, I think it's in 1 Corinthians 11, says, does the Bible not tell you that a woman's long hair, because a cultural thing in the first century, still true to agree, is not that her glory? In other words, that's her beauty. That's her glory. That's, that's a way to distinguish her. Paul's just making a simple point, but I just came to mind. But glory means the weight, what the, the, the significance, the worth. What ultimately is your glory? is my glory, is the glory of our country, is the glory of anything. And when it comes to the glory of God, which is being talked about here, the, the Son is being glorified, the Father is glorified in the Son, the Son is glorified in the, in the Father. This is a very big moment. Now the Son of Man is glorified. Not yesterday, not the day before, but now he's going to be glorified. And what he's talking about is the, the fullest weight of, let's say, the attributes of God, the fullest weight of the, of the characteristics of God. It's when they come to their fullest expression, right? That's what he's saying. Their fullest expression. Let me give you one other uh, way to think about this. Moses. 
If you know, remember the story of Moses, the great quarterback of the Old Testament, the, the father uh, of the Old Covenant. And Moses was given a, a, a tremendous um, job to do. And let me say this, we'll get to this in just a second. This is really all about a job to do. There's a great moment here. It is a farewell, goodbye. It is a touching moment. But Jesus isn't talking about the NBA. He's not talking about old stories around the Sea of Galilee. He's talking about their mission. This is a story about mission. We'll see that in just a second. Jesus, Jesus wants to get to what's most important to these men in his absence. And he's going to talk about mission. But Moses had, I think, one of the most challenging missions that anybody ever had. Now, we, if you're a student of the scriptures, you know that he's a great leader. People have written books on his leadership. And, you know, I think it's difficult to be the pastor of a church, which it is a local church. I think of the challenges of pastoring a local church, right? They're, they're manifold. Can you imagine being the shepherd of the nation of Israel, 600,000 men, which means, you know, twice that or three times that in children and, uh, and, and women, and, and it's unbelievable. And Moses leaves with such great promise. He, he gets his job to go to the promised land. That's his job. He, he confronts Pharaoh. It seems like it's no problem. You know, he just throws down his staff, the 10 plagues, and he is blessed on the way out of Egypt. He not only gets permission to leave, but they're filling their pockets with gold and, and, and food, and it's, it's unbelievable. I would imagine Moses could barely keep his feet on the ground, but not long after, right, the leadership challenge catches up with Moses, as it does with all of us in mission. And Moses gets to the place where, this is paraphrasing, but he says, listen, I'm done. This difficult, challenging um, you know, complaint-ridden, you know, uh, a group of people. This is an impossible task. I've come to the end of my rope, Exodus 33. I can't do this anymore. You can have it. I'm done. Then these aren't the exact words. I've got to paraphrase. Moses. And he says, God just listens, and Moses says, listen. You say you know who I am. You say you know me by name, that I'm special. You love me. You've said that to me, but I don't know who you are. And unless you show me your glory, I'm not going any further. What is Moses saying? He knew about the, the burning bush. He knew about, you know, the stories of the early books of Genesis. He wrote them. He knew who God was in a manner of speaking. He knew the di the de some of the details. He says, but I need to know who you are. I need to know your essence. I need to know what you're really all about. And God says, Okay. And he takes Moses and he puts him in a, the cleft of the rock. Some of you know the story. He sort of says, I can't really give you the full revelation, but I'm going to give you a little more than you have now. And he says, I'm going to put you up in this place, and I, you can't see me and live, but I'm going I'm to put you in this rock, and I'm going to come by and give you a mini revelation of manner of speaking. So he does that, and then when he comes by, all Moses gets, although it's enough, is really some words. He doesn't see very much. I think the book of Exodus says he sees God's backside. I don't know what that really means. But he gets these words. And the words are, I am the Lord, gracious, compassionate, slow to anger, etc., etc. You want to know who I am? This is the essence of who I am. I am grace, I am compassion, and I am slow to anger. And that was enough for Moses, who was probably overwhelmed with the challenge, to say, I can go further. What you have here, okay, is not a mini um, muted um, view. What you have here is the full expression of who God is. 
And what Jesus is saying here, the cross is the new definition of, now the Son of Man is glorified. Now God the Father is glorified in him. Now if God is glorified in him, God will glorify the Son in him and will glorify him at once. And what he says in the 33rd verse is, where I am going, you cannot come. He's talking about the cross, right? He's saying, listen, in the cross, you guys don't understand this now, I promise. If you look at Peter, I didn't read it, the 36th verse, Peter's like, where are you going? I mean, they, they did not understand the significance of what was happening here. When you think about somebody's glory, you think about, you know, the, the guy on the white horse. You think about, you know, uh, the military victory. You think about a, whatever it may be. You don't think about something that's so humiliating. And so as, as, as a, what seems like a defeat when somebody was dying on a cross, I heard a pastor say this and I think it's true. He's saying, if you were witness to the crucifixion of Jesus or any crucifixion, your most likely response to it would be to vomit, right? If you were actually to see somebody die a slow death of suffocation in the way that the people died like Jesus, it would not be to, you know, to uh, raise up your hands. It would not be the normal response to, to victory or what you might think glory, right? It was a sense of humiliation. In this new definition of love, here's what Jesus is saying, all other versions of love pale in comparison, right? This is love. This is God, right? God is ultimately, we ultimately see his weight. We ultimately see his value. We see at the heart, you know, the, the juice is at the center of the orange, or however you metaphor you, what's at the truest heart of who he is, is illustrated on the cross, now God is glorified, okay? That's where it has to begin. And, and, and it's, it's, it's a kind of love, which we're gonna get to here as we think about us. What, what, what do we see in Jesus? He's not saying to them, you guys need to die on crosses too. We know that. Where I am going, you cannot come. He's not saying you need to die on a cross. He says, my love, which you saw activated in everyday living for three years, but you're gonna see exemplified on the cross this quality of love needs to be exercised in the quality of your relationships. That's what he's saying. It's a kind of love that's not driven by self-interest. It's not about building yourself up at the expense of others. It's about making sacrifices to build up other people. And the best way I can think of it, I thought about it this week, how do I best explain it? Those of you who have kids know this well. Those of you who are married know this well, but if you've been in any kind of significant relationship where your heart's been broken, you know this well. And that's when you make a decision that is costing you something. You're making a sacrifice. You're taking a hit. You're, 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 you're saying no to yourself for the benefit, let's say, of your child or of your spouse. That pain that you feel in that moment or moments and often the joy that sometimes results when you see the fruit of someone else being built up because of your sacrifice, that pain, which is real, and that subsequent joy, that's the essence of love in the Bible, I mean, what we're talking about. And, in, in, and when he says, um, by this everyone will know you are my disciples, it's not just the outside world, it's you and me yourself. So when I say to myself, Rob, and I do this all the time, I hope you do too, am I really a Christian? 
And that, not necessarily am I going to go to heaven when I die. That's, I care about that. But am I truly a Christian? Does, would anybody really know? I just went on a vacation. Does anyone that doesn't know me when I'm doing my thing, would anyone say there's something unique about this guy if I spend any quality time with anybody in this place? Does any, how do I know that I'm a Christian? Well, here's how I know I'm a Christian. If I love other people, particularly those that are closest to me, the way that Jesus loved me. And if the answer is no, if I avoid conflict, if I don't know how to do forgiveness very well, if I just, you know, talk to you nicely to your face, but really I say other things behind your back, I try to build myself up at your, why I'm tearing you down. If I really do that, then I'm not a disciple of Jesus. And I might go to heaven when I die, but I'm not going to have much effect on the outside world. That's what Jesus is really getting at here. Now, when I talk about the cross as the new definition of love, I don't think the disciples got it here. There's no question they didn't get it. It's too complex. It's too, they eventually figured it out. And when they eventually figured it out, so if you don't get it fully, I don't always get it fully that this is the glory of God, this is the essence of God, this is the power of God. It's the self-sacrificing, self-denying kind of love. That's the power source. That's the Niagara Falls of the Christian life. And it's at the heart of who God is. The son is, the man is glorified and God is glorified in him, okay? This is the essence of it. But if you don't get it, don't be so hard on yourself. I'm not sure I always get it, but the disciples eventually did get it and it's that understanding that changed their life. We love, John, John's epistles are so simple and they're so profound. We love, fill in, my wife, my kids, my mom, my dad, my friends, my church, whatever. We love because he first loved us, period, exclamation point. The only way you and I are ever going to do anything other than love those who love you, to do nothing more than scratch the back of people who vote like you do and act like you do and in and, and, and a tacit agreement not to challenge each other is unless the gospel gets a hold of your life. Right? That's what Jesus was saying. I don't think they got it here, but they eventually got it. And then the second thing, the heart of this message and of this whole series, we're called to love each other the way Jesus loved us. Right? This is the essence of it. This is the measuring stick. A new command I give you. Now, most of you probably would say, you know, to love other people, to love one another, there's nothing new about that, Right? I mean, that's as old as is the books of Moses. To love one another is not a new command, right? Love the Lord your God and love your neighbor as yourself. That's, 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 the, that's the basis of the old covenant. But what's new here, of course, is as I have loved you. That's what Jesus is saying. As I have loved you. They really need to think about that. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for me. Jesus loved me, if you're a Christian, Jesus loved you when you could care less about him, when you could care less about God, when you could care less about the way you lived your life. You didn't give a flip, I didn't give a flip about God or about living any particular way, acknowledging his sovereignty in your life. While we were yet sinners, Jesus said, I'm gonna go to the mat for you, right? That's what he's saying. I'm gonna put my own... Uh, pride, my own self-interest, my own ability to, to hold anything over you. I'm just going to make a sacrifice for your benefit. This is what love is. And, and what Jesus is saying is, by this, loving others the way I've loved you, by this, 
everyone, starting with yourself, will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. The church, that's what this message is called, it ends with us. What's most attractive about the church, think about it, your own, your own story, is not its facilities, it's not its programs. I mean, these are contexts, they're not unimportant, but that's not what's attractive, right? That's not what attracts people, right? There's better looking buildings than church buildings, right? It's not the buildings, it's not the programs. What, what's attractive or should be attractive or ultimately is attractive about the church is the quality of the relationships of the people inside of it. I mentioned this six weeks ago, someone's definition, D.A. Carson's. The church is not a bunch of people that scratch each other's back. They're a bunch of natural enemies who love each other because of Jesus' sake. The church was designed to be, read the New Testament all over again, of people that were, had, you know, in other words, if, if, if the church is not more, doesn't love each other better, doesn't do it, the church should be more, let's take a hot button issue, more racially diverse than the outside. If it's not more racially diverse, not just individual congregations, but as a whole, then Jesus says, what good is it? You know, what difference are you really making? If you don't love other people, if we don't go beyond the boundaries that the world would naturally do, how are we any different? And the only way you and I can do that is, number one, the cross needs to become central in our lives. We need to understand and appropriate, appreciate God's love in deeper levels to bring about a kind of liberty and a power to love people differently. What makes the church attractive is the relationships. It's a kind of love that builds up, doesn't tear down. It's a kind of love that seeks with others, friends, spouses, to solve problems, not to win arguments. It's the kind of love that doesn't just address the, the offense on the surface. It realizes, like these families I met earlier this week or a couple weeks ago, um, the bitterness that's below, right? Do I work hard enough to, under, to, admit, to, to deal with the bitterness that's below or do I just let that go in relationships? When we start living and loving more like this in our homes, in our marriages, in our small groups, in our neighborhoods, then we'll see God do something amazing in the life of this church. Now let me just say this and we're gonna take communion. I would say this. I don't want this to be a bad news message. One of the greatest um, benefits or pleasures of being a pastor is actually seeing people do this and I see people do it all the time in this church. And it's what so encourages me, right? So encourages me. Just yesterday, just a quick, small little story. I was, just went to visit a woman, she might even be in here, uh, uh, one of our, our seniors, uh, a widow in our church. Just happened to go by, no, no, wasn't a plan, just went over to visit her, say hello. And I went over there, and when I knocked on the door, there was another woman from this church who was there, younger woman, who was there, and I said, I didn't know you guys, you guys are buddies, and just, I just listened to them talk about their relationship and how this you know, younger woman had come alongside to love and give time, and I just, and build into this, to this widow, and I just drove home and I thought, who needs me, you know? <laughs> I mean, this is what it's really all about. I'm gonna send you a letter, you'll get it Wednesday, Thursday of this week, send it to everyone in this church, and on, there's a story without names in the story, but it's another amazing story of a guy who I know in this church who knew of another guy whose life was at the end of his rope. He'd had great troubles through bad choices in his career. His family was coming apart at the seams and this guy 
didn't ask for my permission, didn't come to the office, didn't look for a, you know, a handle. He just said, I'm going to go to this guy. And he said to this guy, listen, I don't know if anyone, has the, anyone else has the courage to tell you that your life's going, uh, falling apart and is about to, you're about to lose everything that's most important to you, but I'm going to tell you something. And I, got to, and I, and I, want, I want to challenge you. Quit, quit living on the fence and making your wife and your kids suffer. And why don't you just go full in? Just, just give it everything. Quit, quit doing this bad behavior half speed. Just go all the way in. I'm thinking, it's not such a good message. But he says, go all the way in. Or, he said, you can decide not to do that and join me and a couple friends who are meeting on an X night, just looking at God's word to see if God might be able to help save your life. Turn it around. And the guy said, that's what I'm going to do miraculously, surprisingly, and less than six, eight months later, he stuck with this plan. This guy put Jesus Christ back in the center of his life. His marriage got back together. He's probably in this service or the next one, right? But that doesn't happen because we love uh, the way the world does, right? We need to go further than they do, and this is where we'll apply this message. What does it mean for you today, back of your bulletin, to love others uh, in the church the way that Jesus loves you? How is God calling you to love different today? I can't go over the whole six weeks. Some of you, it's your spouse. Some of it's your kids. Some of it's your parents. Some of it's your, it's about outreach. The only way my neighbors, I have neighbors like you do, are gonna know that Jesus Christ is real is because of even the way that I love them, Right? Certainly that's true with my family, my immediate family, not all who are Christians. So if the ushers will gather, we'll just close this message with communion here this morning. Um, that's what this is about. The purpose of this table is for you and me to come and to reflect on this great re This is the glory of God. The Son of Man is glorified. God glorified the Son, and the Son glorifies the Father, how? Primarily, exclusively, um, you know, mostly in his sacrifice. Says, I'm going to say no to myself, right? For the joy that was uh, before him, he endured the cross, suffering the shame, but look forward to the joy. That's what love is. It's experiencing a level of sacrifice, pain, but subsequent joy when, with your wife, with your kids, with your neighbors. This is how all men will know. This is how all women will know that you are my disciples. So as we share in this table, that's what I want you to think about. Just in these few minutes and we're done. Who is God calling you to love at a greater depth today, right? We, if you've paid any attention in these weeks, right? Some of you don't need to look farther than your wife or your husband, or your children, or your parents. Some of you do need to look a little bit. Are you in a small group? I hope you, you should be. You should be in one with other people who are trying their best to have honest relations, speaking the truth to each other in love, and in this way, we, um, we, are, we become mature. Are, do you have those kind of relationships, and is there someone in that group that you need to talk to uh, or to listen to? Uh, in the days to come. So that's what we're going to do. Uh, you, if you've been here for the last handful of months as we take communion, it's a little different. 
you'll, uh, there's two cups, so don't miss the stack. It's kind of confusing, or it can be. You don't just take one, take them together. They're, they're, and, and the bottom one has the bread in it. Take the stack together, and we'll share this together. We'll take this together in just a few minutes. Uh, let's pray. Father, thank you for these moments. Thank you for the realities that are represented in this table. That, Lord, even though it was difficult, even though you sweat uh, real, uh, uh, you know, uh, it said uh, great drops of uh, like blood, even though you uh, faced real pain and said no to yourself, you did that so that we might know a quality of love that nothing else uh, could teach us. Help us as we contemplate your great sacrifice, the love that you've given to us in Jesus. Help us, Lord, um, to look outwardly into the relationships in our lives. Where do we need to love uh, others? Who do we need to love? Uh, how do we need to do that? Uh, help us to make a commitment in, this, in these quiet moments. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.
For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he'd given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let us eat. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let us drink together. Please uh, stand with me. And let me just say uh, two things before I send you out. Uh, most of you know, uh, if you're a Browncroft family, that on the Sundays where we share this table and are reminded what God has done for us, right? And in this, God was glorified. Um, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We're, we're, we're coming back to, re, to the heart of our faith, the motivation for our, 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 uh, the change of our lives, which is God's love for us. We want to be reminded of how we can love each other. That's what we've been talking about. One way you can do that is on the mercy offering on the way out. It's not for expenses. Uh, every, every penny goes to people who are in, in a acute need in this body. So that's the purpose. You can take advantage of that. And also, on this June the 4th, first Sunday of the month, we have an orientation. If you're new to the church or just not engaged in the life of the church, in a small group, serving in the life of the church, you want to know more about what we believe, there's an orientation. It's only 40 minutes uh, long, and uh, it starts in about 20 minutes. But you can meet in the middle of the lobby under the next sign, uh, your kids can stay where they are if you have them. You're welcome. We'd love to have you do that. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the opportunity to be here uh, this morning. And Lord, it's hard. How could I ever know in, in, uh, in a room of people uh, like this um, the challenges on our hearts where each person uh, needs to um, exercise a greater love uh, to someone in their life. But Lord, you know that, and I pray that your Holy Spirit uh, would work uh, to help us to apply this message, not just to, uh, to forget about it, but to truly, Lord, um, ask ourselves where we need to um, uh, speak the truth in love and in every way become mature in every respect. Help us, Lord, to move closer uh, to, the, to that person or persons that you've called us to love the way that you have loved us. In Jesus' name, amen.